What happens when you get some of the most senior leaders we have to share his or her advice on a one-on-one -on -one basis? I'm Michael Sears. I used to brief flag officers as part of my job. Now the tables are turned, and we're letting some of the most senior naval, military, and civilian leaders we have brief us. Welcome to the Flag Brief. Stay with us. I'm in conversation with Rear Admiral Mike Manazer, United States Navy retired. And today we're talking about a perspective from a very senior officer and what he did years ago on the bridge of a Navy ship. Mike, why don't you fill in the story a little bit? Hey, Michael, thanks for having me. Um, I'm reflecting back to 2003. And so I'm, uh, let me set the stage for a minute. So I am the commanding officer of the USS Sacramento AOE-1. It's a fast combat supply ship. And that was my deep draft. And the deep draft terminology is the ship that the Navy gives you to practice on before you're the CEO of an aircraft carrier, which would be a national asset. So if you do something wrong with the supply ship and you either ground it or touch something you're not supposed to, then they can go, thank you for your service, sir. Uh, and you don't do it with a national asset. So that's, that's what the deep draft is for. Before that, uh, I was, a, I was an aviator for all my life and I got in, accepted into the Navy nuclear power program and, and started that in uh, December of 1999, uh, learning how to, uh, how to do Navy nuclear power. And so um, I was in that process uh, from uh, 2001 to 2003. I was executive officer of the USS Carl Vinson, and then I moved over to be the CEO of the supply ship in this track along the way to commanding Nimitz later on. So you're a fast mover here, Admiral. I mean, let, let's be real here. You're on track to get one of the big ones. Uh, yeah, yeah, ostensibly, if I don't screw up. Uh, yeah. The idea in uh, entering the Navy nuclear power program is that uh, is that you will successfully select to be the captain of a United States Navy nuclear powered aircraft carrier, uh, but there are some some there's some learning along the way and some fairly big obstacles and hurdles to get over from a performance standpoint and a learning standpoint. But y yes, that was the idea was commanding an aircraft carrier later. So the other thing to set the stage was I'm a fighter pilot and. Um, so you take you take a dyed in the wool fighter pilot who who isn't real good at telling you exactly where to set the throttles or where to point the nose, but is usually say kind of whatever it takes. And, and this is what I do. And and you're fairly confident in your in your capabilities, sticking throttle as it were. And so, I mean, to to be simplistic, I had a fairly big ego about how, how to drive a machine whether it be uh, you know, an F-14 or an F-18 um, doing nominally five miles a minute or even faster than that in combat or slower to, to position your nose or actually driving a ship on the water because relative motion is still the same. Uh, and so I took that attitude, that fighter pilot attitude to the bridge of my deep draft. And so this particular night, and it was nighttime and it was black and it was in the very, very far in the Western Pacific. And we were tasked to rendezvous with the USS Carl Vincent, my old ship, by the way, still commanded by my captain, Captain Rick Wren, 
and I had moved from the executive officer to the deep draft. Uh, and that night, I wanted some training for my surface warfare officers at being the plane guard, which you sat a mile behind the carrier, and you were there in case a, uh, a, a jet went over the side or a person went over the side, and you picked them up. And you go, and why is a – and by the way, the supply ship is a 600-foot-long ship, uh, 50,000 tons. Why would a 600-foot-long ship sit back there? It was training, and that was the idea. The other thing that I was doing was training my junior officers in relative motion. And what was a pet peeve of mine was the very conservative intercept paths using a maneuvering board, which your midshipmen are familiar with, um, to join up together with another ship in close proximity. But oftentimes the solution would be driven so far aft that we would have to add power to catch up to the ship that we were going to join on. And so that particular night, in this particular exercise, to get in position one mile astern of the aircraft carrier, I was adamant that we were going to maneuver by geometry to turn into that spot. You say geometry. This is a math problem. Is it a math problem? Is it science or is it art? All three. Hmm. All three. So math or science are, are uh, e equal. They're equal. So there's an art to it and there's, there's a math part of it. And as your midshipman knows, when you do um, geometry, the math piece, it's a set of vectors to get to a certain position. And sometimes the solution doesn't look right. And you're, you're still, you still get to the spot that you are in because that's what the math says. It's, it's relative motion. And, and so, but there's an art to how you get there sometimes, depending on external conditions, things like that. So it's kind of both. Um, but you need to back the art up with science or math. And that's a key point here um, in this discussion. And, and so to slightly shorten the story, Carl Vinson, imagine, imagine if you're looking out the bridge of a ship, it's a black and night. Carl Vinson is at our 11 o'clock position about 20 miles away. And she's headed kind of across the nose from 11 o'clock to, say, 3 o'clock. I mean, if you just drew the extended line. And we are coming at her from her. If you were sitting on the bridge, they call it a target, target angle. We're, our target angle to her is, is, about, uh, is about 0, 3, 0. So we're nose pointed at her starboard uh, uh, bow. And the idea was get behind her. She's doing about 32 knots to reposition, and I'm doing about the same to catch her. Coming out. So we have about roughly 60 knots of closure, um, which, which with two big ships is quite a bit. And remember, I've got this fighter pilot mindset. We're going to maneuver smartly in behind this carrier, um, and I don't want to chase her for a long time. And so I'm being fairly aggressive at um, the maneuvering, the geometry piece with the art being to know when to put the rotor over to turn to make, to make the, uh, to make the intercept happen. And just to be clear, there's no air brakes and there's no afterburner on the sacrament. And there's not a third dimension of vertical. So you, <laughs> there's just left and right. That's all there is. And, uh, and of course you can slow down, but with, with a steamship, uh, it doesn't slow down very fast. So yes, thanks for clarifying that. So young Lieutenant Junior Grade Rebecca Domzalski is the officer of the deck, and she is a phenomenal OOD. And I'm sitting in my captain's chair on this, this dark at night. I've already briefed that we're not going to chase the, the Carl Vinson down, that we're going to impress the Carl Vinson with our maneuvering capability. And, of course, my old boss, 
I want to impress him with our maneuvering capability. And so uh, Ms. Domzalski had drawn up maneuvering board and said, you need to, you need to come, you know, left or our course needs to be left here to join up. And I said, I said, Lieutenant, remember, I do not want to chase Carl Vinson for miles to catch up. So we need to lead that turn. Yes, sir. And so we're pressing down and we're getting inside of 10 miles now. And we are barely ahead of Carl Vinson's beam. And um, we're pointed pretty aggressively ahead of her beam. And so uh, Lieutenant Domzalski comes over again and says, Captain, we are pointed ahead of her beam. We need to come left. And I said, Lieutenant, I do not want to chase this ship down. Um, and so I want to be aggressive and you need to use lead and lag. And so you need to put the nose of the ship forward of the ship you're trying to join on to make sure that he doesn't run away from us. So she goes over to the back of the table and she does the maneuvering board. And now we're getting in five to three miles. And, and all of a sudden, Captain Wren comes up on the radio and he goes, looks pretty exciting. And that's sort of a cue to me. I'm like, I wonder maybe a little too aggressive here. Now we're about three miles away. And Lieutenant Zossi comes over and says, sir, we need to hard, we need full left rudder right now. And I'm going to prove to her that she's wrong. And I jump up and stand on the center line where my, my cabin chair was offset from the center line. And I finally got a full picture of where we were. <laughs> I almost leaped out of my skin. And I said, left full rudder. And so we put that rudder over left. And with the closure rates of the Carl Vincent and the, and the carrier, we passed somewhere between 1,000 yards and 500 yards down the Carl Vincent starboard side. As soon as we got about midship on the Carl Vincent, I, I said, shift your rudder back over to starboard side. And Rick Wren told me later on his entire bridge team ran to the port side of the bridge to see what happened. Because <laughs> I came screaming across his fantail kind of in a across his wake at, at just about a half a mile astern of him, fairly close, because he was pretty easy to see. And we came back around, and then I corrected the ship and put us in the wake, and, and we settled out right about the place that I wanted to in the end. But I risked colliding with Carl Vinson significantly and did not listen to my OD until the last possible second. And I had to execute a hard emergency maneuver to get out of what I had put us in because of my over-aggressiveness and not listening to her. Lessons learned. There's nothing wrong with being aggressive. But what's the rest of the story? Well, uh, the rest of the story is that, you know, I immediately was able to temper my future discussions with, um, here, here's how... Here's how smart maneuvering is. And, and then, of course, discussion about it. I didn't use the word aggressive as much because I didn't think it actually told the story. What I, what I talked about was smart maneuvering and, and actually did use the word aggressive in a negative sense. If you're too aggressive, you can risk collision, uh, which I did. I immediately, you know, of course, Rick and I went back and forth on the radio about that the story and where I was and what I was doing and what I had learned as the captain of that deep draft. But the biggest thing was Lieutenant Junior Grade Rebecca Donzalski became my favorite surface warfare officer for a very long time because that story, she, she literally saved us from collision. And so my own recognition that my fighter pilot tendencies as the captain of a big ship when I'm trying to demonstrate something, as many of your listeners might have heard stories about people who it doesn't turn out so well, 
because of overaggressiveness. The second piece was I learned to listen to my watch teams. And when they recommended a course of action, um, if it was technically based and sound, I took it. And I took the advice. And there were two reasons. The first one is because I demonstrated to myself that I could get myself in trouble. And second, if I didn't take their advice, then I'm the only one with a course of action in my head. There will be no watch team backup because that watch team that recommended a course of action to me now has no idea what I'm thinking. At least if I accept their course of action, everybody's invested on the bridge. And so I learned a lot that night, not only about aggressiveness and commanding a large ship, but also entrusting your watch team. And I think that Lieutenant Domzowski learned a lot in that she stood her ground. She did not back down as she kept coming over to me and doing her job as the officer of the deck, even while being pushed back on by the captain. And a lesser person would have let me mess that up and risked uh, the ship and the lives of everybody on it. One more time, what is the OD's responsibility relative to being that person who's responsible for driving that ship? Actually, Michael, I'll tell you, the OOD is the one responsible. By, by Navy regulations, the officer of the deck is responsible for only two things, and that is not to collide with another vessel and not to ground the ship. And all of our qualification boards, the officer of the deck is the one responsible. If the captain comes up to the bridge and the captain takes on the OOD, officer of the deck, I have the deck. Aye, aye, sir, you have the deck. He now has become the officer of the deck. So if the captain does not take the deck, the OOD still remains responsible for the safe operation of the ship. And if the captain takes the deck, there will be a log entry on the bridge that says the captain has taken the deck. And every once in a while, it is the captain, I have the con. And the con is responsible, he's responsible for maneuvering the ship. And oftentimes what happens is the captain will take the con, but they won't take the deck away from, from the officer of the deck. The officer of the deck is responsible for collision and grounding. And so actually Navy regulations set that out very clearly. And even though there have been collisions in the past with the captain uh, on the bridge, the officer of the deck has been also, the captain, no matter what happens, the captain will lose his command no matter what happens. But the officer of the deck also is culpable if, if they, they don't do everything possible to tell them, you know, that that's a bad idea. So in this day and age, with the tempo that the Navy is, is working under, what can you tell a junior officer to make sure he or she knows that they're on the deck? They're the, they're the ones who, who own that responsibility. Yeah, the captain's there, but they have a responsibility to the captain, to the ship, to the crew, to the Navy to speak up. Yeah, I would say two words, own it. Um, when you go to your OOD board um, and it's it, the studying, the, the run up to it, you have a bunch of watches, you are, it's a hard road to get your officer of the deck qualification on a Navy surface ship. Lots and lots of work at that board you will be advised that you are the sole person responsible for preventing grounding and collision of that ship. At the board, you will be given the mandate that anytime you have the watch, you are responsible for that as the sole person in charge of, of preventing collision and grounding. When you're given your hat, special colored cap that has, you know, OOD of USS Carl Vinson or USS Sacramento or, or, or USS, uh, 
a Stockdale, you have that responsibility. You cannot abrogate it. You should not abrogate it. And with the captain on the bridge, you can even go to the point where, sir, I have the deck. I'm still responsible for collision and grounding. I recommend this. And, sir, you are standing in the danger, that kind of thing. Speak up. The fatigue and, uh, you know, the running hard. Commanding officers are responsible for, for managing the resources of their ship. And that, that includes people. And it includes getting people rest. And it includes making sure people have rest. And it also includes telling the watch team, I've been up for three days straight. I probably will make a mistake. Please back me up. When I, whether I'm in a nap in my cabin or whether I'm actually sitting on the bridge here, if I say something that doesn't sound right to you, say something back to me. Give me forceful feedback because I can get tired too and I can definitely miss things. That's what our commanding officers should be doing. Because of the overextension that we've seen, they should be seeking more forceful watch team backup in order to keep our ships safe. The lesson I want to leave for somebody who might find themselves in a leadership position is, You've got to be humble and remind yourself that you don't have all the answers. Um, and just because you have a mantle on you that maybe says captain, commanding officer, admiral, you've got to find a way to understand actions could put people in danger. And therefore, you need to seek all the advice that you can to make the right decision, whether it's a quick tactical one like we're going to go join on Carl Vinson or whether it's a large strategic one. and then. And get those inputs. A fighter pilot like me in command of my first ship, wanting to be aggressive in front of my old boss and wanting to show him that I really knew how to maneuver the ship, that's a dangerous combination. <laughs> so there are people that are blessed with personalities that aren't as uh, aggressive as a young fighter pilot named Mike Manazer in command of his first deep draft, uh, you know, that, I, that are better suited, more patient. But for those who find themselves with, if they really, you know, doing introspection, they find themselves leaning towards the more aggressive piece. If you're put in a command position, you must find a way to temper that aggressive nature you have, either getting somebody as a backup that tells you how you're doing or, hey, you're doing that thing again, Captain. Ah, yeah, that's right. That's right. Thanks. 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 You know, somebody that'll pull you back a little bit as a leader. And then, and then for people who work for leaders like that, you have to really work hard to make sure that when you're right and you have the technical base of your right and the positional authority, like an officer of the deck, that you speak your mind, that you tell, you, you be truth to power, you tell that captain or that admiral what your recommendation is strongly and why and what the ramifications are. Admiral, great lessons. It's good to get these stories from the people who've been there. I'd like to have you back and tell more stories. Thanks a lot. Sounds great, Michael. Thanks for letting me join you. You've been listening to The Flag Brief, a series of conversations with senior officers and civilian officials. Thanks for listening. You can find more of our podcasts from the Stockdale Center at radiostockdale.com.